0: Welcome everybody to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. The mobile version, of course, but we are moving in a positive direction, seemingly. I'm your host tonight, John Harris, football analyst, side reporter, draft dude, whatever you want to call me. I am that, and I'm joined by the voice of the Texans. That's all it takes. If I say the voice of the Texans to you out and about, you know exactly who that is. It's Mark Vandermeer. Mark, how are you doing? Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the show.
1: Johnny, I'm fired up. I mean, we've got the legends out here at Bud Light Plaza having a little crawfish boil, so that's pretty cool. And we've got OTAs going on, so that's pretty cool. So I just feel the calendar just, uh, you know, page turning at a time here, like in the old movies, you know, the calendar on the wall with the the single dates, just here we go. It's May 26th. Let's rock. May 26th already i mean it feels listen
0: i'll be the first to tell you the last 14 15 months have been just unbelievable unlike anything we've ever seen but there's parts of me in which it's flown by and there are parts of me that are like oh my gosh it crawled along but it feels like getting to getting to the end of it it's like a surfer, I always watch these surfing videos, they're, they're so mesmerizing that the surfer, he or she will get to the end of the tube and then just come out of it. And it's like so cool. Like, are they going to make it out? I get so nervous. And then, yeah, they make it out. They make it out perfectly right at the end. I feel like we're about to escape out of the tube and get back as close to normal as we possibly can.
1: You know, it's funny because it uh, does it feel fast, slow, whatever. I think you're right. At times it does. At times it doesn't. And when you think about your adult life, when you're a kid, time moves at a slower speed, right? When you're an adult, it's it the big changes occur when you have job change or you move or maybe a tragedy. You know, Obviously, we will all want to avoid those. But uh, that's when you feel like these seismic changes occur in your life. Everybody had a seismic change over the past 12, 13, 14 months, every single human being. So it's just a strange dynamic that way. And you and I being in the world of professional football, it's also strange because we had a season basically without fans or with very few anyway. And right. here we go. And it's so exciting to think of NRG Stadium and all these other places being full. I'm so fired up for it.
0: Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Um, and I, I, I can't wait. I, I can't wait to see fans at training camp. Uh, I can't remember which of the NFL Network reporters. They may have been Tom Pelissero who had reported that the NFL was pushing towards having fans back at training camp. And one other aspect with training camp, making it an official start date for 29 of the 32 teams, which is pretty interesting because it's not been that way. It's been, well, when did the Texas start? Well, we start so many weeks out from our first preseason game. Okay, well, let's play the preseason game on Thursday so we can start earlier. Now there's going to be a set date in which all teams will report, and all teams will start training camp. Mark, that's going to be that's going to be wild that day. Obviously, we're going to be covering the Texans, but to turn on NFL Network that day and see all this activity all over the place, all starting at one particular time, is going to be wild. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait for that.
1: Fans, a training camp. Hopefully, I get to have my tower again. Because that's really <laughs> the most important thing to me, Johnny, is to have that tower that I had last year. Let's see if we can get that done. Why would you want the tower?
0: I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'd I mean, you tower. get a great view. I know you love the tower. I don't know. There's just something of being down low, being on the field, being on the sideline that I will always
1: love. So I know. I know. But here, here's the deal. We're going to do those morning shows at training camp. Yeah. You can be in the tower now with the COVID, relaxation of COVID protocols, and then go downstairs after the show is over. And so while the show is going on, you have a bird's eye view of everything. It's a win-win, Johnny. It
0: is a win-win. That's genius. And I love it. And it's going to lead me to our first gut reaction. Okay. Gut reaction is very, very simple. I read you something, a statement, something that comes out, whatever the case might be. And I get your unadulterated unfiltered reaction to it and it can run the gamut you'll see that here tonight okay. so here we go gut reaction to this tweet from judy bautista who is with the nfl nfl.com says so stuff yep. for nfl network as well she tweeted the following Important to note that non-vaccinated NFL players and personnel will still be subject to daily testing, must wear masks at the facility, must physically distance, be quarantined after exposure, no meals in cafeteria. However, vaccinated personnel, mostly back to normal, big incentive. Your gut reaction, seemingly we kind of started talking that direction. So I started with this one, your gut reaction to what Judy Bautista tweeted.
1: You know, Johnny, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm really not. I think that uh, this is and look, I I know about all the debates. I read everything. I just think it's well worth it. All right. Considering the gain, it's well worth it to get vaccinated. And, you know, my brother, I'm just going to out him right here on the show. He's he's not really an anti-vaxxer, but this particular one, he's like, you don't know what it's going to do. It hasn't been out long enough. I'm thinking, you know what, bro? If there's something really wrong with it, we're all in the same boat together. So what the heck? (laughs) Look, I want to live my life. I live in the real world. And, you know, I want to be at professional football games and practices and mingle with the players and the coaches. So, yeah, go ahead, you know, stick me or whatever they say. Right. Whatever it takes. I got vaxxed and I'm all about it. And look, I respect those who don't want to. I respect those who still want to wear the mask, even though they've had the two vaccines and maybe had COVID before. Whatever you want to do is fine, as long as there's freedom here and we can go about our business. So I'll vax. I um, mean, I have vaxed and uh, I'm all fired up for this. And I think that uh, we're going to have a real nice time with it. I Here's what I worry about. I'm just being honest here. Johnny, do you know this offhand? And I, I guess I should check this out before coming on the air. But if you're vaxxed and you test positive, are you contagious? I thought I read somewhere that you are not. And if that is the case, then I think vaxxed people shouldn't be tested at all, right? Yeah. But whatever the case may be, I just feel like, um, you know, I would hate to see somebody be vaxxed, test positive and not able to play, or in my right. case, not able to broadcast. Because, you know, you don't have any symptoms and, and maybe you're not contagious at all. So what's the harm of testing yeah. positive in that case? But I guess that's another debate. And People listening right now are maybe driving their cars into bridge abutments uh, with a rhetorical or a rebuttal argument, rather.
0: But basically, if you're vaxxed, you're moving on to 2021. If you're not, as the NFL has laid it out, you're back in 2020. That's essentially what kind of you're looking at. So I'm all for staying in the present and not the past okay gut reaction to this mm-hmm. brooks kepka and bryson DeChambeau is the rivalry that sports absolutely without
1: question needs right now your gut reaction uh it is it is not what sports needs right now no, no. it might be what golf needs right now a little bit of this but yeah. here's the thing, Johnny, and I, I am a golf fan. I'm not like totally plugged in. Uh, there's some guys in this building who are, by the way, mm-hmm. not the football side. I mean, there might be, but guys on the business right. side. But anyway, I think both these guys are kind of golf villains anyway. Kepka to me is a villain. And with the with the mustache on Sunday, you know, yeah. as Phil is trying to hold him off, I'm thinking this just plays into that image. Kepka has this sort of terminator. Thing going on i'll be back you know i'm yeah. going to birdie every hole down the stretch he didn't do it obviously on sunday de i think people get annoyed with the hat and they're jealous <laughs> that he could drive the ball 400 yards and still have a short game right and i don't want all the pga stats he's a hell of a golfer i really wish the rivalry was more of good and evil right these guys are both sort of to me on the evil side of the character spectrum of golf. So I want to see, you know, nice guy and look, Ricky Fowler to some people, nice guy. And I don't know what you think of him, Johnny, but you know, he's hanging on for dear life here at his career. Yeah, I mean, he had that, he you know, decent finish at the PGA. And that really helped him out. He almost had a finish that was going to get him a master's exemption for next year. He's going to have to qualify for the U S Open but he's got to play one of those Monday, Tuesday Tin cup tournaments in order to get into the U S open. Uh, you know, I'd like him to be in that kind of rivalry if he was playing better, you know. And I could think of some other guys along the way here, but golf, you know, Johnny, golf needs more stars who are there like almost every time, almost every time. And I don't think it has enough. Uh, but obviously, Kepka and DeChambeau, they are two of them right now.
0: If you're not following, Bryson DeChambeau is gonna be playing with Aaron Rodgers in the match against Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. So Tom Brady. Tweets, two old guys against the Young Bucks. Bryson DeChambeau better get used to laying up because we know Aaron Rodgers isn't going for it. Crying emoji. <laughs> Gut reaction to the fact that Tom Brady might be the best tweeter in
1: sports right now. Don't you feel like he's been liberated since leaving the Patriots? That yes. This it's side of his awesome. personality. Yeah. He's talking
0: trash on Twitter and he he posted if you if you saw it over the weekend Brooks Kepka was doing an interview on Golf Channel and Bryson DeChambeau walked behind him and said something and the still shot of it is Brooks Kepka with this look on his face like I can't believe this guy DeChambeau's in the background you know like the cat that ate the canary and everybody's kind of doing memes to it Brady just started putting meme after meme <laughs> saying Aaron realizing he has to spend the whole day with Bryson, Bryson happy to be like, he just took these memes and just went on. And I'm like, Holy cow. He's fantastic.
1: Yeah. He's yeah. really good. What's your gut reaction to him being the best tweeter in sports? Uh, he is he that right now? Would we give him that title right now? He's so entertaining. Pretty close. Look, when, when you're that good you can be that way, right? Yeah. When you're that good, he backs it up. You can be that way. Now he's not as good at golf as Manning is. He's just not, you know, Manning in that TNT thing it was on TNT, right? Last year, wherever it was on, uh, it was one of the first sporting events we saw in COVID when it was he and Phil versus uh tiger and tiger was with Manning, right? Anyway, yeah. it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see that, but, um, I thought Brady didn't play as well. But, yeah, Brady's unbelievable on Twitter, really entertaining. I hate to use the word likable because he broke our hearts for so many years. But, you know, Johnny, (sighs) I kind of feel the way I do about Manning. That's how I feel about Brady now. Now that we're kind of almost sort of done with him because he's still in the league, but at least he's in the NFC where he can't haunt you on a regular basis, and you'd love to see him try to in the Super Bowl because you'd love to be there, Uh, I can sort of appreciate him you know, uh, more yeah. as a person. Manning, I think, is hilarious. Brady, obviously hilarious. So it's good. It's good for sports. good all around.
0: It really is. I knew there was one other comment, but it wasn't on Twitter. He put it on Instagram. Underneath the picture of the poster of he and Mickelson against DeChambeau and Rodgers, he, he put two champions versus a scientist and a Jeopardy host. <laughs> 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 I'm like, that's just... It's perfect. He's And he's not a Roger. great golfer, but he's just – he's having he's having a blast with this. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. All right, next gut reaction. This finally happened, and it's about a patriot and a cult to the teams that we obviously just cannot stand sports hate-wise, and it finally happened. Drafted in 1996, and that's going to be a theme with my next one, but in 1996 – The New England Patriots drafted a kicker from, I believe, South Dakota State by the name of Adam Vinatieri. Today on the Pat McAfee Show, Adam Vinatieri officially retired. What's your gut reaction to him being finally gone?
1: With all the accomplishments, you know, Vinatieri has – look, he kicked a field goal here in overtime in 03 with the Patriots to beat the Texans, and – that was the year the Patriots would win the Super Bowl later on in this building. And that was a game that went deep into overtime. I mean, Andre Johnson was on that team. It was year two of Texans history. And I'll never forget it. Uh, That was the first time we ever saw him as an opponent played for the Colts later on for all those years Uh, with all the accomplishments he has. My favorite note on him as he was still playing forever was this guy once tackled Herschel Walker, Adam (laughs) Vinatieri once tackled Herschel Walker, on special teams, obviously, and he chased down Herschel. I guess it was a kick return, and Herschel was with Dallas. He eventually ended up back in Dallas, and it was very cool that he did that once upon a time and lasted as long as he did, and it shows you how eras can sometimes connect because you'll do this with older players. You know, with Brady, you could do it all day long. You know, who is still in the league playing who started eons before when Brady started out? And it's kind of cool to connect those things. Uh, So I like to do that with Vinatieri. You know, he's a kicker, Johnny. I know how you you feel about kickers. He's one Mm -hmm. of the greatest ever. Uh, I I found it remarkable that the Patriots were able to replace him with somebody who was equally as good in Guskowski for so long. And they had such remarkable success with him. But Vinatieri did great with the Colts. And gosh, I just want to throw up just talking about him. But good (laughs) that he's gone. And uh, great career. Congratulations.
0: When you think about all the things that had to go right in 2001 for the Patriots, Adam Vinatieri kicking a 44, 45 plus or somewhere in that distance yard of the field goal, 45 yard field goal in the driving snowstorm, just to tie it and send it to overtime to me is one of the greatest plays there's ever been. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to even think how somebody could have knocked that field goal home. He actually, the easier one was in overtime, but to knock that home, to send it to overtime, I mean, he was just he was just incredible. And near the end, obviously, it broke down. I mean, he didn't play last year. 2019 was not a great year for him. I mean, we saw that. He, he missed, I think, a field goal and or an extra point in our game. And it was just like, wow, we're watching him kind of, you know, deconstruct, if you will, just – or destruct. And it's like, what's going on? But the guy had been around for so long, I think he'll be a first – Ballot Hall of Famer as a kicker? well that would be interesting. Um, but I think you should go on Jan Stenruh, the only kicker that's in the mm. Vinatieri gets in. Okay. Now this one comes out of something that I watched last night. Your gut reaction to this. And before you react, I might have to give you a l- just recall a little bit. Okay. But you were calling basketball at UMass in 95, 96. So you might, you might get this. The 1996 NBA draft is the greatest draft of any sport all time. Take a listen to this draft. Okay. Allen Iverson, the answer was first. Marcus Camby, who you followed, was second, was a 10 and 10 guy for 17 years of his career. Sharif Abdul Rahim averaged 18 plus for 12 years. Stefan Marbury, Ray Allen Hall of Famer, Antoine Walker, Kerry Kittles with number 8. Some guy named Kobe Bryant with number 13. Steve Nash 15. Jermaine O'Neal 17. Undrafted, oh I'm sorry, I forgot a few. Derek Fisher And then undrafted in that draft was a recently named Hall of Famer, Ben Wallace. Five Hall of Famers, four guys that were MVP, 20-plus championships, all in that one particular draft. I don't know that I can think of a better one, but your gut reaction to the fact that that is the greatest draft of any sport all time.
1: Well, you know, that's that's a draft near and dear to my heart, because as you said, I was at UMass and the schedule the Minutemen had that year. Ninety five. Ninety six was unbelievable because they did play Allen Iverson in the yep. regional final in Atlanta to get to the final four and beat him. Uh, they beat Stefan Marbury and Georgia Tech. Uh, there were a number of other guys. They actually beat Kentucky on opening night but lost yep. to them in the semifinals. So they went one and one with Kentucky that year. And there were a lot of other guys on the schedule who were really great players, but not necessarily hall of famers. So uh, I listen to the names in that draft and I'm blown away. Uh, also uh, Calipari uh, not only coached Canby but then he goes to the nets and he drafts right. Kerry Kittles yes. instead. And John Nash was the GM, but Calipari was calling a lot of the shots and, you know, I don't want, have the exact political structure and hierarchy in my pocket right now but they could have drafted kobe bryant and they talked yes. about it but they felt like well you know here we are it's our first year we're gonna draft this high school kid or are you gonna draft more of a you know serviceable sure kind of thing for the eighth Four pick year in that draft? Terry yeah. kittles yeah. who was a hell of a player coming out of what villanova right yep so uh they didn't uh they didn't uh, is he Villanova? Anyway, they didn't pull the yes, trigger Villanova. on uh, Kobe Bryant, and perhaps they should have, but maybe it was all a wire job anyway to get him to Los Angeles, and they knew that to begin with. So that draft has a lot of storylines. I mean, Iverson alone is just such a story. Such a story. Here are the players drafted
0: in between Kerry Kittles at 8 and Kobe Bryant at 13. Samaki Walker, Eric Dampier, Todd Fuller, Vitaly Potepenko. So the Lakers... Had to wait through those names. And then, of course, Charlotte ends up making a pick. That's that's the long-held trivia answer. Who actually drafted Kobe Bryant? It was the Charlotte Hornets. 2011 NFL draft is going to get close. 2003 NBA draft with LeBron and Carmelo and D. Wade is also very, very good. And 83, obviously, in the NFL draft had all those quarterbacks in the first round. This draft was ridiculous, and the documentary I watched last night was—I was, was just—it was jaw-dropping to see all the players. And then the undrafted guy was Ben Wallace, and he has one of the best careers of all.
1: Johnny, uh, Samaki Walker, Louisville, UMass played them. Yep, Todd Fuller, UMass played. That was NC State, NC State. I believe. State. UMass played, yep. them. and yeah, Kittle's was uh, Villanova. Look, the, incredible draft, incredible year, incredible time in sports um you won't see that you know my kid my 15 year old my one-man focus group for market research among teenagers uh said you know dad why is the nfl draft so much better than the nba draft just as far as the impact and everything i said there was a time when the nba draft was super cool and super hyped and that was one of the times i mean when you had names you know coming out like that it was extremely exciting now it's like who are these guys? You know, unless you're a diehard basketball fan, it's tough. The NFL draft has completely overtaken it. We talked about the TV ratings on previous shows where it's overtaken the NBA finals and World Series and everything else. Last one. Okay.
0: You've written an article about this. I've been on the sidelines since 2014. So that's kind of our starting point from 2014 to the present. Okay. The most impressive slash toughest road environment. From 14 till now, in my opinion,
1: was Philadelphia in 2018. What's your gut reaction? All right. So this is a story on Houston, Texas.com, top five, all time road environments and the Colts at the RCA dome to me Ooh, were yeah. ridiculously difficult because it was not only Manning and that team and they were very good, but it was so loud in there. And they were so well-schooled. They would, Behaved like it was golf, like you were putting (laughs) when the Colts were on offense, and when you were on offense, you couldn't hear anything. I mean, it was crazy, John. It was one of the loudest places I've ever been. Uh, but since you've been with us on the sideline, I have to say, and look, it has everything to do with team, right? But New England, New Come on, New England was ridiculous, and the booth is low, so we're like we're in the stands, it feels (laughs) like, and they're yelling stuff to us, and then (laughs) Josie comes on in the second (laughs) half. (laughs) Josie's on a vacation. I just want to, oh, yeah. I, just, I can't stand it. I can't oh, wait man. to get a win there. It's going to be one of the greatest days ever. I don't care what their record is at the time, the Patriots. I don't care if they're, you know, 0-17. I just want to beat them in that building.
0: That's, I, it's so funny. I didn't even think about that. I just remember looking up at twelve fifteen, and the game starts at 1 in Philadelphia. And I'm like, I turned to somebody next to me. I think it may have been DP. I said, DP, I said, look in the stands. And she goes, yeah. And I said, every seat is filled. Yep. 45 minutes before the game. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And it was, of all the environments that was as fun as any to be in, that one in Philadelphia was, un, that was un, unbelievable. All right, Mark, you get an A-plus for your efforts on gut reaction. Thank you for joining me, my friend. Thanks, Johnny. We get back. We're going in the lab, my man Drew Doherty. We're talking coaches and muscle ups next on Texans All Access. Texas All access. Texas All, access. Texas All access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hunted Texans Radio Studio. I am John. Glad to be with you. My podcast partner is named Drew John Harris. Drew Doherty in the lab talking some coaches, Robert Prince, and muscle ups. Yes. Muscle ups. You're about to find out what those are all about right here within the lab.
2: Hello, friends. Welcome into In the Lab. Waving his waggly hands is my good pal John Harris. I'm Drew Doherty. We're happy that you're with us today. John, how have you been, bud?
0: I'm doing very, very well. I I don't know if the, the people can see my wall decoration. This is really it's not me. We had an intern by the name of Nick Patterson who is absolutely awesome. And during COVID, he was part of Tier Two, which I was too, and Tyler Sutter. So I'm in the part that was his office, so I'm not bothering Suds on the other side while he's doing his work. Oh, so that's why that's why I'm in here. So my friends from Texags were like, "Dude, you gonna start throwing Mardi Gras beads up after a little (laughs) bit?" I don't don't know. I mean, I didn't see it, but you know, it's cool. It's it gives it it gives a vibe, as the kids say nowadays.
2: Yes, a vibe. Yeah, we talked. You know, I wrote a little blurb about the vibe in the Texans locker room on the training fields based off of what we heard from Britt, Justin Britt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and KPL last week, Ken Pierre Lewis linebacker who comes to the Texans from Washington. These guys have been around. Um, they actually played together in Seattle, which was where Britt spent yeah. his entire career before missing last season. And while I don't want to go deep into each of their careers as, as a, uh, as like a conversation today, I do want to talk about like there is a different idea uh, around the Texans because there's so many new faces, you know. And yeah. I don't want to get too far into culture because I think culture is important, but I think culture is overplayed sometimes. You know, there's there, you're never going to see a Super Bowl champion that's uh, culture culture. It's an actual team. You know, players <laughs> yeah. win titles. Good right. players win titles. So culture can be important, but I think if you have good players and you get all that stuff figured out, that's that's way more important. But they're pumped, and it's fun seeing this coaching staff and who's on it. You've got guys who've had success as head coaches in Lovey Smith. Romeo Cornell is an advisor now, but he's around, and he's, he's helping yeah. out. Cully obviously the man in charge. But, like, for example, John, yesterday I was doing some research because mm-hmm. I was doing a little, little listicle thing on mm-hmm. Robert Prince, the wide receivers coach, yeah. and there is a phenomenal article – that was written last Septemberish, and then it was republished December 24th, I think, when uh, Prince had to take over and, and be the interim coach yeah. for the Lions on Christmas Eve because of COVID. But he was nicknamed by the Detroit receivers the CEO, the chief energy officer, because they yeah. said he'd go into the the, lot, the weight room and he would do muscle-ups. So like, if you don't know what a muscle-up <laughs> is, this is a chin-up or a pull-up. Yeah. I'm sorry, chin-ups like this. You are just getting your chin above the bar. Muscle-ups are like you're going all the way up, and you're getting your your whole body above the bar, and he's doing that, and he's very, very serious. He was getting on guys like Danny Amendola, Galladay, Marvin Jones, guys who've been around, and he made them better. They've all said that to him, man. So you have like 150-yard receiving day. He's going to be on you about – you should have had 215 because of this, this, and this. It's a very interesting makeup of coaches. He coached in Japan – in Tokyo, back in the mid to late nineties, this guy's been around. They've seen things, so it's going to be going to be really interesting to see how this all translates. You know, if it does to success on the field in the fall.
0: I think one of the things I've always I've thought this about coaching. It's funny. I like I, I really come up with this philosophy, but it hit me. I, I was a head coach in in Florida, and I went to a clinic, and it was run by a friend of mine's dad, who I've gotten to be friends with over the years, uh, Larry Zierlein and Larry was the offensive line coach at uh, University of Cincinnati and I hadn't seen Coach Z in years and I was so proud because now I was a head coach and I was going to go see him at, the, at this clinic that he was speaking and so he was speaking on a Friday night and everybody else was speaking on a Saturday and this was not this was, they were just trying to get this clinic off the ground and so they had uh, a few guys speaking and I just remember going in and Coach Z was uh, drawing up a, a, a gap play, which is kind of like a kind of like a power play, but with a, a little nuance different uh, with a gap play. Because your gap and power used a lot um, as nomenclature, kind of similar. And so he goes through this, and as he's going through it, he's talking about, well, you know, when I had when I had this sort of offensive lineman, here was a little wrinkle we used because he couldn't do this, but he could do this. But then we had this offensive lineman. And he wasn't really good at this and he was sort of shorter. So we invented this technique and he talked about all the different things they did because all the different players that he had been around. Well, the next day I went to go see, it was a defensive line coach at a major power five university. And he was just talking about defensive line and he put up this video of an all-American player, a guy who would end up going in the, in the pros as a first round draft pick. And he's showing the different, skills um, and the different things that he could do technique wise. And I'm watching it going, I don't have everybody like that guy. I don't have anybody like that guy. And as he continued going on, he would talk about the things that he would do in large part because he had that guy. And I'm like, but wait a second. Yeah, I'm not, I don't have that. I got, you know, and that's what made me think of Coach Z the next day because he had been at Tulane, he'd been at Cincinnati. He didn't have the five-star players. They had to develop guys from what they had and took what they had and give it to players. And once coach Z got to the NFL and he could take some of those things that he learned and he could put it with that talent. All of a sudden it's like, Whoa, that's a, that's a pretty good marriage. But this coach is basically putting up like, well, yeah, just do it like this. Well, yeah, you can do that with that guy. He's amazing. But if that's all, you know, then you're never going to be able to coach your way at a paper bag. And so that's why I love seeing coaches that have different experiences That they can bring to it, whether it's in a different league, whether it's with different types of players, they can take that and then add it to their coaching repertoire and end up being an instructive um, asset for those particular players as opposed to, well, you know, let's just roll out the balls and play because you guys have better talent than everybody else. So I love, love, love coaches that have been around and they've seen the best and they've seen the worst. And so they can adapt based on what they've seen before. And a guy with such a traveled, history, some people like, well, oh, he's never in the same place year after year. But in the end, what that does is it makes that coach that much more adaptable to the situation that he's going to see not only in the same building year to year, but for in the league year to year, because it's going to change uh, every single year. So you know, I, I, I love, you know, I love CEO. That's a good one.
2: I want to jump on that. You just bring that up. So you're talking about, well, you're talking about coaching in general, but for example, Prince he has, like you said, been around to a lot of different spots. Now, Detroit was where he was the longest. He had been there since 2014, and right. he stuck there. That's a long time. That's it's really it. It's different than his record because he was there through three different ownerships, uh, through you know three different coaches. He was hired by Caldwell, yeah. um, stuck stuck through um, through all that through th- that coaching change. But before that, he had bounced around. He'd been to Boise, Colorado State. Portland. I mean, he basically did a tour of the, the whole upper Northwest, the great Northwest. Yeah, he was like yeah. Lewis and Clark boiled into <laughs> a, a football coach. You know, yeah. he's from California. He, he grew, he was born in Okinawa, lived his first seven years there. So he had been around and then found stability these last few years. And it was fascinating to see. And then talking about offensive line, cause you just brought up coach Zerline. Well, the new offensive line coach is James campen spent an eternity in green Bay. I think there might be only one other assistant coach who was ever there for a longer duration than he was, than Campin was when I was doing the research on him. And, I mean, think about it. Who's who's the signature name that he coached probably on the offensive line? David Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari, yep. David Bakhtiari wasn't the second or third overall pick of the draft, was he, John?
0: No, he he wasn't even close. I don't know what his overall position was, but I know he was drafted in the fourth round, so you're talking at least – by no, means am, I saying, by no means am I saying,
2: and by no means am I saying, and by no means am I saying that oh, Bakhtiari is who he is solely because of camp. He's not, you know, right. you give the credits Bakhtiari, but you got to think camp and played a little bit of a role in it and could no doubt. maybe accentuate some of the stuff that he's got to work with here, perhaps.
0: No doubt. I, I mean, Bakhtiari was, was 109 overall, and look, that was probably a combination. Of teams going, well, I don't know, I don't see the athleticism. I don't know. And then you get a guy like that falls to the fourth round. But uh, I I guarantee you, you sat with David Bakhtiar and you said, Hey, what did James Campen mean to your development? Yeah. I would imagine you get a you get a pretty good earful. And that's the thing, when you look at the, the Packers over the years, that, that Campen was there, they did not put a first round, second round emphasis. Much of the time, if at all, on offensive linemen. I'm, I remember Jason Spriggs was drafted. I can't remember. I think he was late. Was he first round, second round? I can't remember. I think he was second. He's second round pick. But he was about the only one I can remember that was a high pick that really didn't pan out. But as like TJ Lang, Corey Lindsley, Bakhtiari, those guys all really developed mm-hmm. under James Camp and, you know, Brian Belaga was another guy. Now he was a first yeah. rounder, but he was another guy that developed and was the rock on that right side where Bakhtiari was over on the left side. So that's the thing that I, I love to see. And it kind of goes back to my thought with coach Z was just about how you develop these players, because what's going to work. And, and just and, and think about our offensive line for a second. My memory could probably do anything athletically that any offensive lineman in the league can do. that any lineman can do. He's going to be different from Titus. So a technique that could work for Laramie may not work for Titus. Now, there might be some things for Titus because Titus is, I think, a little bit more powerful. There might be some technique that Titus is going to be able to use that maybe Laramie doesn't uh, use or isn't effective using. So as a coach, you've got to be able to to say to those guys, you can't say off the cross, cross the board, well, my two tackles should be using these different techniques or these techniques. No, one might do one thing, one might do the other. The magic of coaching is knowing that, okay, I'm getting the max out of them and they're doing it the way that makes sense for them and that makes sense for the team. And that's what I love in a coach. And that's what Coach Z basically taught me that night was, you're not going to have all the same guys. You can't block this all the same way. You can't do this all the same way. And I've kind of filtered that through to kind of everything that I do. And it really helped me as a coach and as a teacher to realize, OK, that that kid doesn't learn like this one does. This yeah. one likes visual. It's even like my own kids. You know, my son yeah. wants to do everything in his head. My daughter wants to write everything down and trying to help them, especially math. because That was my my subject, trying to help them and figure out what worked. That's the magic. And when you've been around, when you've seen when you can. You know, think back to man, what did I do with that? Oh man, we had that receiver at Humboldt State back in '87, and he, <laughs> which is where Prince
2: played and coached a little bit.
0: Oh, uh, was it Humboldt State? Really? Yeah, 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 he started, I just at, happened uh, to, I, he started
2: at San I, Bernardino I, Valley College, played there two years, and then went to Humboldt State, finished his playing career there, and then he was like a GA, I think, right out of college or shortly thereafter. So,
0: weird trivia fact. I, don't, I think Humboldt State's football program shut down a few years ago after they had Alex Kappa. I believe huh. now they could, they could have come back. I'm not totally sure, but I, I want to say that they closed the program down. Maybe they came back. um Yeah. Their last season was 2018. I think Alex Kappa was either that year or the year before. Now mm. he's playing for the Tampa Buccaneers. Either way, the point being, God, why did Humboldt state come up? Um, Cause of him. He's this like, where he's
2: He probably had seen that. Yeah. At some point. Yeah.
0: yeah. I probably seen it at some, some point anyways, The point being, you can refer back to some player that was too short, too small, too slow, too too something, but you got something out of him and out of you know him or her depending on what sport you coach, and that you can apply and say, hey, wait a second, you know, when I had this guy, you know, I had this player, we did this with them, and I think that's the that's the point of having experienced coaches um, that have been around and seen some different things and. And obviously, camping, getting away from Green Bay for a few years, seeing some different things, and now bringing it to the Texans and hopefully getting that production out of the night. That's, it's such an important part of the coaching business because we're not all blessed with guys, you know, five guys like Laramie. You know, I could go yeah. out and coach Laramie like, hey, Laramie, go block him. And he'd be like, okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we'd love for it to be that easy, but it right. is not. But, you know, hopefully, you know, our listeners will get the point, and that is when you – have different experiences and you're not blessed with all those players and that talent you got to find a way to do it you got to find a way to get it done and campin's gotten it done robert prince has gotten it done and hopefully they'll get it done here over the Texans. that is definitely the hope get it done no matter what all right we get back we'll go around the nfl there's always action and we'll discuss it next right here in texas Alexis. access we got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. Let's go around the NFL as a Wednesday in the middle of the week has always got some, it's always got great stuff. Roger Goodell spoke today and he was asked about vaccinated, how the teams are doing from a vaccination standpoint. And the number he said, he said 30 of 32 teams with tier one, tier two employees are 90% or more vaccinated. And he said the other two teams are 85% reaching and getting towards that 90% threshold. That, I thought, was pretty darn good news. And hopefully it continues us moving in a direction where we can all experience football in 2021 the way it was intended to be with a lot of crazy fans, food And great football all throughout the country and the world. Yeah, they got two games in London. Falcons, Jets, Jags, and I forgot, uh, Dolphins, I think. Yeah, I think that's who it is. Anyhow, uh, good news there, Roger Goodell had for everybody. This was also good news, I thought. The league, the NFL, and the NFL Players Association have agreed to a salary cap ceiling of $208.2 million dollars for 2022. Now, in a, in the salary cap, I think a lot of people always go, well, what's the salary cap number? What's the salary cap number? What a lot of people forget is there's also a floor too. And that forces teams to have to go spend to get to that floor. So there's not some team spending $10 million a year and some team and a bunch of teams right at the cap because you know a team is trying to save money or you know do the Bengals thing or whatever the case might be. So they haven't come to what the floor is going to be. But they know the ceiling for 2022 is going to be 208.2 million. And I bring this story up because I know there are a lot of people that I've run into that have talked about 2022 about the Texans' contractual situation leading towards 2022 and what it could be. It could be that the Texans are sitting on some serious salary cap room. Now, I've always said this about salary cap room to fans it's, man, spend all the money. Let's go. To organizations, you got to think years out like, okay, who's up for a big time deal? Who do we have to keep an eye for? That's like the Colts. The Colts have had, I think, I don't know, 85 to $90 million under the cap this year. But they also know, man, they got to pay Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard massive deals coming up. They're already, And now they're paying Carson Wentz too. So that salary cap goes away in a hurry. However... When you've got two hundred eight point two million as opposed to the one eighty two point five this year, that's a significant jump, and I got a feeling that our Texans are going to be in great shape come twenty twenty two when that rise in the salary cap ceiling goes up. That was fun. We mentioned earlier Adam Vinatieri announced his retirement. Today on the Pat McAfee Show, I think the final numbers were 24 seasons. It's amazing to think 24 seasons. All right, kicker or not kicker, doesn't matter to me. 24 NFL seasons. Now going to the NFL Hall of Fame, you don't have to pick between like you're doing baseball. Well, what hat are you going to wear in the baseball Hall of Fame? You don't have to worry about it. But it did get me thinking: Patriots or Colts? It's pretty close. The well, impact he's had on both. Won Super Bowls with the Patriots. Went and won a Super Bowl with the Colts. I don't know, man. That's going to be a tough, tough call, no doubt about that. There's a lot more going on. We'll hit more of it tomorrow. We'll also have John McClain, the general, on. And, oh, yeah, tomorrow we get to see the Texans up close and personal. And we will give to you tomorrow our thoughts from right off the practice field tomorrow think it's going to be in the morning, but we'll save them for 6 o'clock. We'll have plenty to say about it. I'm very, very sure as we see this iteration of the Texans, the 2021 team, for the very first time. So we'll be back tomorrow, everybody. Big thanks to Drew, to Mark, to Joanna back in studio, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.